What a beautiful uh, song that is that we just sung. That is a uh, song that is rich with memories for me. My grandma Esther uh, taught it to me. She was a, a long-time member of this congregation, and uh, she would tell it, I called it the Purpose Solely song. And so it's that last phrase that, that really stands out to me. His the loving purpose solely to preserve us pure and holy. Isn't that good news? Isn't that beautiful? God's one purpose is to preserve us. He wants us. He desires to call us his children and to preserve us. Praise God for that today. Before we uh, get started, uh, Matthew and Ed and I, Abel, are, are missionaries to Paraguay. They are uh, have been here on furlough uh, for a number of months and are heading back, I believe, tomorrow. And so uh, Matthew's going to give just a quick greeting, and then uh, I'd like to have a prayer uh, for him here too as, as they get ready to leave. I think, is that okay? All right. Good morning. Morning, morning. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. I kind of surprised came here this morning, so we didn't get scheduled in. Hi, Grandma. We said goodbye um, a couple days ago, and now we get to see see each other again. Um, We're missionaries in Paraguay with the AFLC, so you guys are our sending church, part of the sending church. A number of you are our personal supporters. Um, Hopefully... You remember us in prayer. So that's why I have right here this picture. This picture is the picture of the most beautiful family on earth. Happens to be my family, too. Um, sitting in the back are the rest of them there. We've got another little baby coming in February. But here's how this works. I've got a bunch of these. My kids will probably hand you one of these at the end of the service. And you take it. And you place this somewhere where you'll see it. You can put it on your fridge, put it on the dashboard of your car, put it in your office, put it in your Bible. You choose where you want to put this. And then you train yourself that when you see this picture, you pray for us. And you pray for um, the ministry in Paraguay. Pray that God would open the door for the proclamation of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit would be calling people unto salvation. And that he'd be working through our ministry there and providing for all our needs. So that's how that works. Hopefully you'll grab one of these after the service. And I would just like to ask um, Pastor Germstead if you could pray for us and send us off. We go on Tuesday. We head back to South America. So, um, yeah, this evening and tomorrow we'll be finishing packing up, and Tuesday we fly out. So you're our last stop along the way. Let's pray. Father, I pray for uh, Matthew, for Ed and I, for their beautiful family. I pray that you would guard them, keep them, protect them, preserve them, uh, strengthen them, give them uh, clarity of of mind and heart and purpose as they seek to proclaim the gospel uh, to the to, to the people in Paraguay. Lord, I pray that you would would bless the ministry there. I pray that that, that you would grow the the. The, the, the faith, I pray that you would be uh, working a miracle in the hearts of the, the people there to, to, to know you and to love you, Lord. I pray that you would raise up uh, the, the congregation there uh, to, to, to be a beacon of light in, in that part of the world. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just uh, continue to bring healing to Matthew's body. Thank you for how you have, have done that uh, so far. We praise you for that uh, little miracle, too. And God, we just thank you so much for them. We thank you for their witness, for their testimony, and pray that you would go with them now as they uh, prepare to head out on Tuesday. In your name I pray, amen. Please uh, 
yes, keep uh, keep the Abel family uh, in your in your prayers. It's been nice having them around for these months, and uh, so it's always a little bit bittersweet to see them leave. I think probably especially for family, uh, but uh, but we're excited uh, to see how God is going to continue to use them in the ministry there uh, in Paraguay. Our text uh, this morning comes from Isaiah 42, uh, verses 1 through 7, and I, I should mention too, just a, a brief thank you. As you now know, I'm I'm kind of pinch hitting today, and and uh, I've received some thanks for that. Uh, wait till maybe you hear the sermon, uh, whether that should should be the case. But I, I want to just quick highlight that when something like this happens, there's so much planning that goes into a service. It is by far not just the pastor. There are so many other people that are, are working to make adjustments, and so I uh, just am grateful for the worship team, for the 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 AV team, and and so many that have have kind of been. Uh, working behind the scenes to make this go well. So thank you to them too. All right, let's, uh, let's read. Uh, let's stand if you're able. As I read these verses, Isaiah chapter 42 and verses 1 through 7. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Here ends our reading. Father in heaven, these are your words. Thank you so much for your word. And I pray now that as we study your word that you would Set it apart in our hearts as truth. Your word is true, God. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations, the thoughts of all of our hearts gathered here this morning would be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock, our redeemer. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. It's happened uh, just in the last few days that um, it's popped up on my Facebook uh, page a couple of times where various friends have posted pictures of their positive COVID tests with a lament that after all this time I have finally uh, succumbed to this uh, to, to this virus or whatever you will call it uh, that we've been dealing with for the last already now four years. It's kind of hard to hard to believe that that's the case, and uh, and I find it interesting. Uh, that, that it's kind of taken that long for some people. And, and it reminds me of, of when uh, I personally succumbed to this wicked virus. And it was a couple of years ago. And, uh, and it came via a cousin of mine uh, named Steve. Uh, Steve is in the Army. And, uh, and I had become convinced, or, and still am uh, on some level, that he was likely Captain America. Okay? If you're not familiar with Captain America and the Marvel comics... Uh, he is also coincidentally named Steve. That's one reason I think he might actually be him. Okay, So I obviously had good reason to think that he was superhuman until he sent me a text 
on a Friday, the morning after I had been out to supper with him, uh, he had recently gotten back from a tour uh, in the Middle East. It was a thoroughly enjoyable time to catch up with him, so I don't blame him one bit for it. But that Friday morning, he texted me uh, to say that he woke up not feeling well, got tested for COVID, and it came back positive. It was too bad and frankly kind of disappointing because my uh, dreams of him being superhuman were crushed. Superheroes aren't supposed to get sick. And then to top it off, I had been myself arrogantly joking for a number of months that I thought I might be superhuman because I had gone almost without getting it, including when my wife had had it a few months previous. And then, let's see here, that was on a Friday morning, so then it was the following Monday night, my dreams came crashing down when I started not feeling well, my body started to hurt, I lost my taste, and my fears were confirmed the next morning with a positive test result. Illness has a way of reminding oneself the innate weakness and even mortality of the human body, right? I don't remember another time when I was out of breath after walking up the stairs in my house like I was when I got sick with COVID. It reminds us that we are very much not superhuman. Nor can we make ourselves that way. Now, that's a given, and we all understand that, right? But that's where we need to start. We are frail and weak. Now, consider with me our culture's tendency to idolize superheroes or or celebrities, famous people, as I was talking with the kids, and to pedestalize them as the standard to emulate It happens very innocently when little boys and girls dress up as their favorite Marvel character or Princess Elsa. I was kind of surprised that one didn't come up as a famous person. And they dream of being like them, okay? That's very innocent and fine. It's a little bit less innocent when you get a little older, maybe in the teenage years like I was in the 90s, and we were all told that we wanted to be like Mike. You remember that? I mentioned Michael Jordan already. Gatorade in the 90s made one of the most famous sports commercials of all time with Michael Jordan with a song that sang, Just Want to Be Like Mike. Again, mostly innocent. But the creator of the song later acknowledged in an interview that the song was obviously written before Jordan's gambling problems came out. And to add to that, I would argue that while this issue doesn't stem specifically from that commercial, okay, there's an attitude that has betrayed a lot of young men and women who believed they could reach that peak level of athletic performance. And they ultimately failed and were wholly unprepared to do anything else with their life. Dreaming is great. But if it's not balanced with reality, the consequences can be devastating for one's life. The point is, we do this all the time. We look up to someone and strive to be like them, and and some of that's okay, but then the, the, the real motives of our hearts can be exposed when either we fail in our endeavor or that idol fails to be who we thought they were. And this happens in the church, too. You don't have to spend very much time on the Internet to find stories of people who plunged into a faith crisis 
or, or outright unbelief when the, the Ravi Zacharias scandal was exposed, or the, the another more recent one too would be the, 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 the Mark Driscoll scandal in that podcast, the rise and fall of his 15,000 member congregation in the Pacific Northwest. These are sad things. And I grieve when I hear them. But if my faith is damaged because of their failure, follow with me on that. If my faith is damaged because of their failure, is there a possibility that maybe my faith was placed a little bit inappropriately? In response, then, we might say something like, well, that's why for us, we just strive to be like Jesus. Because he won't fail. Okay, that's true. He won't. But what happens when we fail to be like him? How many people have misunderstood faith to be the measure of our ability to be like Jesus? If I only had more faith, I could do dot, dot, dot. Or if it's primarily about holding yourself accountable to what Jesus would do rather than rejoicing in what he has done. Some say that this downplays, for example, the role of good works in the life of the Christian. Well, yes, but only if that's what your faith is all about. But what if your faith is instead based on what Christ has done for you, and then the joy and the thanksgiving of that bears fruit and good works? Our text this morning tells us what the Messiah has done and how he has done it. And friends, this flies in the face of everything that the world and our sinful natures teach us about what greatness looks like and how it becomes ours. Our text reveals a Messiah who doesn't wait at the top of the ladder for us to reach him but rather one who descends, one who comes to us, one who brings justice, healing, freedom. Instead of demanding that we be like him to be accepted, where we become the hero of our story, instead, he becomes like us to bring his righteousness to us and then is the hero, the one, the only true hero. And not just for now, but for eternity. Behold, my servant. Verse 1. This is the first of four suffering servant songs in the book of Isaiah, pointing us to the Messiah, but presenting the Messiah in a startlingly unique way. Rather than presenting a standard to emulate, this Messiah serves suffers, humbles himself and gets dirty, relates to our struggles. Verse 1 says, behold my servant, look, look at my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. This verse is a prophecy of what we heard read earlier in Luke chapter 3, or Matthew chapter 3, excuse me, the baptism of Jesus. 
The Spirit comes down upon Jesus and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. The baptism of Jesus is remarkable. And there's two things I want to point out. And, and they're in that Matthew's account of the episode. And so if, if you have your Bibles and you're following along, you can turn there and look uh, if you'd like to follow along. The first thing to note is John the Baptist's response to when Jesus comes to be baptized. Do you remember what his response is? No way. I'm not baptizing you. John says, rather, I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around. John hadn't grasped the mission of the Messiah to humble himself and become like us in every way, to identify with sinners and to provide them with righteousness. And that leads to the second thing to point out. This is Jesus' response to John's refusal to do the baptism. Jesus says, let it be because it's fitting to fulfill righteousness. Ask yourself this. Why did Jesus need to be baptized? Have you ever wondered that? The Bible talks about how baptism washes and cleanses from the stain of sin. It's not something Jesus needed, right? Why did Jesus need to get baptized? There was no sin for him to be cleansed of. But he says here, it's necessary to fulfill righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To fulfill righteousness for our sake, for us to have righteousness, rightness, to be right with God, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. John says, I've got no business baptizing you. Jesus says, let it happen. This is me humbling myself. Identifying with sinners to give them righteousness. And the Bible says it pleased God. Or in our text, his soul was delighted. The suffering servant humbling himself, even in something like baptism. Friends, righteousness is ours. Being right with God is ours by faith. And it's a gift from God. And faith humbly looks to Jesus who comes down and meets us where we are and rescues us. He wasn't flashy. He wasn't holier than thou. He wasn't boisterous or demanding of attention and some certain level of treatment. That's verse 2 of our text, by the way. Or to be a little bit silly, he didn't roll into town in a caravan of bulletproof black SUVs with tinted out windows. He didn't give a campaign speech at a $5,000 per plate dinner. He didn't set himself up and shout out to everyone, hey, look at me, everyone be like me, even though I make myself inaccessible to you. No, he came to us. That's Christmas, if you missed it a few weeks ago. He became one of us in order to pay for our sins and make us righteous. There is such great comfort in verse 3. 
It indicates his care for the hurting, for the oppressed, for the burdened. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. For those bent under the burden, the weight that you carry, That's you today. Bent under the burden of the weight you carry, Jesus comes down, he humbles himself, and he comforts you. He protects you. Do you ever feel like a faintly burning wick? Where the flame of faith or or hope, or joy, has begun to flutter? There's so many ways this can happen. To be discouraged with something like illness, or maybe when we do fail and, and fall into sin. Anything that reminds us of our mortality, of our sinfulness, or at the very least, that we are weak. This verse tells you that your Savior knows your struggle. This verse tells you that He comes to you and instead of snuffing you out, He cups His hands around you so the flame is not quenched. He delivers you. He brings forth justice. He becomes like you. But He doesn't grow faint or discouraged. This is, friends, a great epiphany. And I use that word intentionally because yesterday was the day of epiphany. The word epiphany means to have like an aha moment, okay? To suddenly realize something. A pastor friend of mine uh, wrote a while back, he said, the wonder of epiphany is that God is not a God who remains hidden to all, but the most qualified and pious. Okay, I didn't quite say that very smoothly, but, but please hear me on that. The wonder of Epiphany is not that this God, that the God, is a God who remains hidden to everyone except for the most qualified or the most pious. God, instead, is a God who comes to us, who reveals himself to us, And he does this on his terms. We don't get to, nor do we have to, invent ways to experience God. God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Faith finds God. Not on an unattainable pedestal or behind closed doors. Faith finds God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. It's the mystery in Colossians 2, if you didn't catch that, that we read. The mystery revealed Jesus Christ in you. Jesus Christ with us. With us in our joys and our pains, our successes and our failures. What a revelation. God with us. Verses 5 through 7 uh, then become this kind of stamp seal of God's approval 
of the way of the servant or the way of Christ. Thus says God. This is the God, it says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, the author and giver of breath. Thus says God, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you, I will give you as a covenant for the people. This is God making this servant the mediator of a new covenant. God's promise to man comes through the servant. And it is in the servant, Jesus Christ, that then we have access to God. God says here that he will give the servant as a light for the nations. That's a role that Jesus would later claim for himself. In John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of truth, which is so valuable for us today in a world that increasingly wants to do away with truth. A world without truth is a very dark world. And friends, Jesus is the light of truth. He is the one that opens the eyes of the blind, it says, who brings out, verse 7, the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This servant, humble, approachable, condescending, coming to us servant, delivers gifts to people, brings salvation and life and light to a very dark world. You know, we talk about greatness and, and looking to greatness. As God is the very definition of greatness, but that definition is so different than the one that the devil and the world are faces. In Christ, in this servant, we see a servant who sacrificed himself for others. He put every person who existed ahead of himself. The truth that is lost on me far too often. Forgive me, God. He put everyone else above him. Everyone else. Not just the people he liked or the people that he got along with or his family members. He put everyone else ahead of himself. He put you ahead of himself. He serves you. He emptied himself for you. That's greatness. J. Oswald Sanders wrote a great book on spiritual leadership, and he says it well. True greatness is achieved not by reducing men to one's service, so not in making them lower than you, but in giving oneself in selfless service to them. And he says that is never done without cost. It involves drinking a bitter cup and experiencing a painful baptism of suffering. The way of Jesus, the way of the cross, is a humble way. It's a painful way. Many times it was a costly way for Jesus. It looked very ordinary, 
And that was part of the shock for John the Baptist when Jesus, Son of God, rolled up asking to be baptized. And people throughout the life of Jesus and since have struggled to grasp this. But friends, when you start to see Jesus for who he is and for what he has done to serve you, isn't that beautiful? Because this is the way that Jesus comes to us. This is the way that brings truth, that brings light, life, sight, freedom, righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wisdom to humble the proud, to give grace to the needy, to serve and to love me, to to love us, sinful human beings who don't deserve a lick from you and yet you give it to us anyway. God, today we praise you for this servant, for this revelation that our striving is over. That rather than than heaven being ours only by certain achievement, it's ours because you love us and you came to us. God, we are filled with joy today and love for you because of your great love for us. And I pray that that great love for us, that humility, that service that you showed would would then reflect in our lives and that we would love one another as you have loved us humbly, lovingly, graciously, joyfully. Thank you, God, for this time. We pray in your name. Amen.